So let's take our Bibles, go to the book of Matthew, chapter number 24. Uh, I was thinking just before I walked up here, and um, uh, last week our message uh, got a little bit on the lengthy side, not by design, it wasn't my intention, but uh, just in order to cover the material, uh, we took longer than what I hoped to. Uh, my wife showed me something yesterday. Somebody posted this. Um, I don't know who posted it, but it was uh, the caption that the preacher saying, I'm not going to preach very long today. And then uh, over the top of it or underneath it was um, was Google censorship or what, you know, Twitter or Facebook, how that, you know, this past election, whenever somebody would say something that they didn't agree with, they'd put that disclaimer up there. And so anyhow, I thought that is that is so true. And um, I, it just seems like every time that I have said I'm not going to preach very long today, I've done just the opposite. I don't know why. I can't explain it. But uh, I'm just planning on preaching as long as it takes this morning. Everybody good with that? But uh, we're in Matthew chapter 24, and our series of messages are the edge pieces of dispensational salvation. We are still in part number four, dealing with the tribulation and the millennium. Uh, if you have missed out on uh, especially the last two messages, and uh, this is the first time that you've heard this message today, I want to encourage you to go on our church website and listen to the previous two messages because really this is just a continuation of the same thoughts that we've been dealing with. And I've really, really tried hard to minimize and not overload you with information and as I've already said, this isn't really a, um, a Bible study per se. This is a message. And so in many cases, I'm telling you what the Bible says and not taking the time to prove everything that I'm saying. But I do encourage you, uh, as always, to check out from the Bible the things that I'm saying. Uh, one thing that I've always tried to do in my ministry, if I don't feel that I truly understand something then I try to let you know, or I certainly don't present it to you as dogmatic, because I have no desire to be your guru or your authority. I'm a pastor that studies the Bible and does the best that I know to rightly divide it and then present to you what the Lord's shown me. And so uh, you're not finding infallibility behind this pulpit, but you will find infallibility on top of this pulpit. And that's not my notes, but that's the scripture. And so uh, I appreciate your prayers as we look at what I believe is a very timely and important message as we're taking a look at the tribulation period. Uh, join me here in Matthew 24, and we'll begin reading in verse number 3. Jesus here is on the Mount of Olives, he's with his disciples, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. 
There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these, Jesus said, are the beginning of sorrows. For sake of time, skip down to verse number 15, where the Lord continues and says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. If you're not familiar with this term, the abomination of desolation, this is, I believe, when the Antichrist sits down on the mercy seat in the rebuilt temple and declares himself as God and literally just defiles the temple of God. The abomination of desolation. Daniel prophesied of it. Jesus uh, gives his endorsement of that prophecy. And he said, when you, you see this happen, then you better take heed. Verse 16, Then let them which be in Judea flee unto the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, to this time no nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake... Those days shall be shortened. We'll stop right there for sake of time. Join me as we ask the Lord's blessings on the message today. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you as needy people. Lord, we're living in a day and age where it seems like that uh, there's so much of a lack of God and a lack of the Holy Spirit in believers' lives and certainly in congregations. And uh, Father, we recognize here today that Nothing of any eternal value will be accomplished today if the Holy Spirit doesn't do it. We ask that you'd put your hand of blessings and power upon this message. We pray, Father, that it would be received, uh, Lord, with the passion and the compassion that it is presented. Lord, I pray that I would not get in the way of what you want to accomplish, but rather that you would use us as a voice, as a warning, Lord, as instruction, we just pray now that you would take the truth, these prophetic things that we know are going to happen someday soon, and you'd take and help us to make application. We pray, Father, for the fear of God, for the conviction of sin, and above all, that the Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us to a place of repentance. And God, that each and every one that hears today, if anyone is not saved, I pray that they'd be saved as a result of the message if there's any believer that's saved but has wandered away from the will of God, I pray that you would make, uh, just bring this message to their heart and bring them back on track by your grace. Have your will and way and get glory and honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, I, I was just, I had a few minutes uh, this morning and I was scrolling through my Fox News uh, application and I came across an article that grabbed my attention, and it was something to the effect of what a very popular preacher today had for the message of the new year. Uh, some of you have no doubt you've heard of Andy Stanley. He's the son of Charles Stanley. 
And I'm sure that probably somebody listening that I mentioned that name and he may be your favorite preacher and I'm not trying to be critical or negative, but when I look at where we are at as a nation and I look at the state of Christianity and I think of, okay, if I've got an opportunity to get a message to people today and I'm going to preach as a dying man to dying men, what am I going to say? If Jesus was alive today, what would he say to people that are living in 2021 in America? Would he say, what will your story be in 2021? What kind of decisions will you make and what will your story be? And I thought about that. There's nothing wrong with the message, what story will your life tell? Nothing wrong with that. But the problem that really burdens my heart is that as I read the Word of God, and I read about men like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, I read about John the Baptist, all men who were preaching in great times of apostasy, when it seemed like that there was no faith among God's people. What was their message? Their message wasn't, oh, folks, what's your life story going to be? No, it was a message of warning and judgment. And here we are, we just read the red letters of Jesus Christ as he is warning us of some horrible things that are going to come to pass. And you know what? I want to make sure that I have made not only my life, but my message count so that I've warned as many people as possible. Because listen, folks, if you go off, if that trumpet sounds and you are not saved, you're going to experience these things that Jesus is talking about and then some. When we read the book of Revelation, if you're not 100% sure that you're saved, you better forget about, oh, that's interesting. Well, I wonder when that's going to happen. I wonder if, I wonder if this has anything to do with Trump or Biden or if this has anything to do with some major leader. You're not going to be looking at it as something that's intriguing. You're going to be looking at it or you should be looking at it as something that I better get saved because I don't want to have to go through this. That's just common sense, folks. And as we are, we know that there are signs of times all around us. Why are we giving motivational self-help speeches in our pulpits? Why aren't we warning people? You can't find a man of God for the last 2,000 years that didn't focus on preaching the judgment of God. You say, preacher, that's so negative. You're being so... Listen, I would much rather... You know, you know that one of these days we're all going to stand before God? And when all of humanity is standing for God, there is a, there's a possibility in all of that massive crowd that we may look around at that crowd before the throne of God and we may see people that we recognize. Listen, I don't want any of you to look at me and say, Preacher, why didn't you tell me the truth? Why'd you try to be popular? Why'd you try to build a big ministry? Why wouldn't you tell me what the Word of God says? I don't want that, folks. I don't want that at all. And so I want to be faithful to the Word of God. I love you and I love people. But I'm not truly demonstrating true love if I'm not willing to tell you, thus saith the Lord. And say it with the passion that we ought to be saying it with. Last week, folks, we saw from the Scripture that as we approach the day of Jesus uh, that He warned His disciples of, 
that the preaching of tribulation salvation may be more important than we realize. Why? Because the fact is that many professing believers are not truly regenerated. And if the rapture takes place, there could be people... I mean, can you imagine if the rapture takes place on a Sunday morning in America... And all these people are gathered together, sitting in a pew as we see here today. And all of a sudden, a trumpet sounds. And only half or a fourth of the congregation ends up missing. I think I am certain that there's churches meeting all across America today that won't even be aware that a trumpet sounded. And that's heartbreaking and that's sad. And I put the responsibility on the men that occupy this sacred place of preaching and pastoring. And if any pastor, if any preacher would hear this message here today, I want to encourage and exhort all of you to be faithful to the Word of God and continue to tell it like it is. If you haven't been telling it like it is, repent and get into the Word of God and quit looking at current events and quit trying to build a kingdom here on this earth. We've got to get serious, folks, because we don't know what this year beholds. Many are not saved, and if the rapture takes place, their only hope for salvation will be to know and understand what to do and what not to do as they enter into this tribulation period. Last week we saw the seven seal judgments and the first six of the trumpet judgments. We saw that the Antichrist shows up on a horse along with war, famine, and pestilence. We saw unimaginable natural disasters and then creatures coming out of the bottomless pit like locusts with tails like scorpions. And the Bible says that these creatures, they're not going to be aliens from outer space. They're going to be spiritual beings that right now they are in the bottomless pit. And when that angel opens up that pit and they come out, the Bible says they're going to sting men. And it's going to hurt. It's going to be the sting of a scorpion for five solid months. That sounds horrible. I've been stung by wasps and bees, and it's intense. And I can't imagine uh, going more than five hours with that kind of pain, let alone five months. And yet, the reality of it is, Jesus warned us of hell in Luke 16. And He said that there's a rich man that lift up his eyes in torments there in hell. And uh, no doubt he's telling us that that rich man some 2,000 years later is still in the torment of hell today. Serious stuff, brothers and sisters. So, so serious. We saw last week that four angels were loose from the Euphrates River along with 200 million horsemen These horsemen were creatures with faces like lions, fire coming out of their mouths, tails like biting serpents. We saw how that even when those scorpions came out of the bottomless pit, they couldn't hold a candle to these five, excuse me, these 200 million horsemen that caused torture and torment and death among men. So we find ourselves now between this sixth uh, this uh, uh, sixth uh, trumpet judgment and the seventh trumpet, and we find there's an interval between these two. John sees this little book, 
and he opens it up and he hears seven thunders. He begins to write what he heard of those seven thunders. And the angel says, don't write it. It's forbidden. It's to be kept sealed. Between the sixth and the seventh trumpet, we find that these two witnesses show up in Revelation 11. And you know what? These two witnesses are in the streets of Jerusalem, and they are prophesying, and they are preaching. And if you think that my message today is negative, you don't want to go and hear those two men. I believe that it's Moses and Elijah, and they're not going to be telling you how you can live your best life now. They're not going to be telling you, oh, how wonderful you are, and all of your problems are because you have a low self-esteem. They're not going to be passing an offering plate so that they can buy a new house and have a fancy car. They're not going to be doing any of those things. They are going to be clothed very simply. I mean, there's going to be nothing about them. They're not going to be wearing a suit like this. They're not, there's not going to be anything that is entertaining or humanly impressive about these men. They're going to be preaching the judgment of God and warning the inhabitants of earth there in Jerusalem. And their message is going to be so powerful and so negative that you know what's going to happen to them? They're going to kill them. They're going to slay them and they're going to hate them so much. And just like so many people, even professing Christians, hate the truth today, they're going to slay those men of God They're going to leave their bodies laying there in the street. And then three and a half days later, and there's no coincidence about that three and a half days, that represents the fact that God's going to show up in three and a half years. Jesus is coming back. So God's going to put the life back into those two prophets and they're going to, they're going to get up from, after lying there dead for three and a half days, the spirit of God's going to come back into them and they're going to stand up on their feet. Pretty spooky times, wouldn't you agree? But that's what's coming, folks. And that's where we find ourselves between this sixth and this seventh uh, judgment. The two witnesses show up. The whole world is against them. Most so-called preachers today are unknowingly used by the spirit of Antichrist. They are causing men to despise any message of judgment. I guarantee you, there are people, you may be sitting here today and going, oh, why do they have to be, are you one of those hellfire and damnation preachers? Listen, if you've been around here any length of time, you know I don't preach like this every time. But I do preach like this. Someone once asked me, are you one of those hellfire and damnation preachers? My answer is, if it's in the book, I'm going to preach it. The good, the bad, the ugly. I'll preach you what you want to hear. I'll preach you what you need to hear. I'll preach what you don't want to hear. If it's the truth of the Word of God, then you, if you are a Christian, you ought to love the truth. These modern preachers are playing right into the hand of the spirit of Antichrist in lulling people to sleep, in in, in making the message of warning and judgment something that is evil, uh, evil and treated by the listener. Oh, I didn't come to church to hear that. I didn't come to church to change and repent and to feel bad. How many times have I heard 
people say, you know, every time I go to church, the preacher just makes me feel bad. Listen, I don't want to make you feel bad. No preacher that loves people wants to. But if the truth makes you feel bad, then it's not the preacher's fault. And sometimes you've got to feel bad before there's ever hope of getting your life changed. We want, we want everything now. We want, the, we want joy and we want peace and we want prosperity and we want happiness. And the whole Word of God says that the here and the now is going to be tribulation. It's going to be suffering. It's going to be troubles and trials and sorrows. Jesus Christ Himself was not going around with a smile on His face like that everything was wonderful. You know, I guarantee you, if you saw Jesus walking through the streets, you wouldn't see Him like some of these modern preachers, like, oh, everything's wonderful. You know what you would have seen? You would have seen a humble man. Yeah, you would have saw peace on his face, but you would have looked at his eyes and you would have seen a man that looked like he was carrying the burden of the world on his shoulders. Why? Because he was. He was acquainted with our sorrows and with our grieves. And he knew that one day, that in obedience to his heavenly Father, that he would bear the sins of the entire human race. Hey, listen, I've, I've had my own sins that I've thought, Lord, I can't bear them. I can't bear them. I messed up. I, I just, I did something. I can't believe I did that and the weight of that sin. And listen, the only hope for that burden of sin is the Cal, is Calvary's cross, the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't want to play into the hand of the Antichrist and make men despise messages of judgment into thinking that it's inappropriate. You remember in 2 Chronicles 18 that Micaiah is before Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat and Ahab are trying to decide whether or not they're going to go to battle. And you know this well-liked and well-known prophet by the name of Zedekiah, he comes out and he has this wonderful message. He has he had prepared this object lesson and he makes this these horns of iron and he gets out and he's got these horns and he's put them up on his head and he says he says to, to the king Ahab you're going to push the Syrians back just like these horns and oh it, it was dynamic and it was entertaining and you know what it was it was that message was put in Zedekiah's heart he was preaching it with passion He wasn't meaning to deceive the king. He believed what he was saying. But we find out from the scripture that you know what was going on? God sent a lying spirit into his heart to tell the king what he wanted to hear. Jehoshaphat looks over at Micaiah and Ahab is like, I don't care what he has to say. He never has anything good to say about me. And you know, Micaiah does is go and prosper. Jehoshaphat steps in. Jehoshaphat had enough God on him to recognize. And Jehoshaphat says, well, wait, Micaiah, how many times have I told you, don't say anything except for the truth of God's word? And you know what Micaiah did? He delivered the message of judgment. And he was right. Ahab was killed in that battle. He should have listened to the real man of God rather than listening to the entertaining man of God. There's a lesson for all of us, folks. 
Jeremiah the prophet went through the same thing with Hananiah. Hananiah is giving the smooth words that everybody wanted to hear. Do you know that Jeremiah was accused of being unpatriotic because he was preaching God's judgment upon Israel? Listen, I'm glad. I'm glad that I was born in this great nation. And listen, there are times when I am moved to tears, when I put my hand on my heart and I pledge allegiance to that flag. But my first and foremost allegiance is to the Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's secondary. And in every believer, that should always be secondary. I am patriotic and I love my nation. And I hope that if the time ever came, I would be willing to suffer and bleed and die so that our children and grandchildren can enjoy the freedom to worship God that we enjoy. But I don't think it's going to come to that. I I, I don't think if my life ends up suffering, if my life ends up as a martyr, I don't think it's going to be for my country. I think it's going to be for the testimony of the Word of God. Because the devil is working and he is making people hate the truth of the Word of God. Have you ever noticed this lack of, of uh, reverence for truth in our, in our culture. It's all in media. It, the news media, Hollywood, and so forth. Somebody tells a lie and it's no big deal. We're so accustomed to it. I'll tell you what, truth is what we need to focus on. At this point, and I've got to get on with the messages, here we pick up the seventh trumpet judgment in Revelation 11. You can look in your Bible, you can look on the screen. In verse number 14, it says, The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe cometh quickly. And the seventh angel sounded, and there was a great, uh, great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever. This seventh trumpet judgment sounds, and folks, this one, I've got to be just honest with you, this one is very complex to describe. We find that when that trumpet sounds, that heaven is opened, and John sees the 24 elders around the throne of God praising him. We find that he sees the devil, the seven-headed dragon cast down to this earth, and the devil begins to persecute that woman. And listen, that woman is not Mary. That woman is Israel who gave birth to the Christ child. It's, and so Satan begins to persecute Israel. We find that the Antichrist shows up, and the mark of the beast is being offered to men and so forth. We find between, with the seventh trumpet that Christ thrusts his sickle into the earth and reaps the earth. The ones, and, and with that reaping, that you've got some that are taken and some that are left behind. I remember singing that song in Sunday school and in uh, youth meetings and summer camp growing up. Uh, uh, I wish we'd all been ready to men. I haven't it's been a long time since I've sung that song. But you know, Jesus talked about about one being taken and the other left, and many many preachers have assumed that that's talking about the rapture of the church, but it's not, folks. 
That is a rapture, if you will, that's going to take place during the tribulation period. And the ones that are taken are the ones that are taken to go to judgment. The ones that are left are the ones that still have hope. You can look at it, read it for yourself, and you'll find that much preaching is uh, not rightly dividing the word of truth. So Jesus, uh, he, he reaps the earth, and the ones that are taken are put into the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. I don't know if you've ever seen or read about a, a winepress. It's like a big, a big vat that they throw all of the grapes of the harvest in. And back in those days, they didn't have machinery that would, uh, would extract the juice out of those grapes. They would literally, they would wash their feet and they would get in there with their garments and they would begin to tread upon those grapes until the juice would begin to squeeze out. And that juice would be spraying up onto their white garments that were clean. And it would be staining them. And God says that when Jesus comes back and reaps this earth, at Armageddon, he's gonna, it's going to be just like that. It's going to be the blood of men. See, that doesn't sound very Christ-like. Well, it depends on which Christ you're talking about, folks. If you're talking about the one of the Bible... God manifest in the flesh, the Son of God, then yeah, it's very Christ-like. You say, well, that's not the way He's operating today. You are 100% right. We are in a time in which God has extended so much grace and so much mercy to mankind. Can you believe it? The perversion in America, thumbing our nose in the face of God, saying, God, we're not doing things your way. We don't care what you say. Our bodies are our own. And listen, we're consenting adults and we're not hurting anyone. We're going to marry who we want. We're going to uh, have relations with whoever we want. We don't even like what, that you made us male and female, God. Wouldn't you agree there is something intrinsically satanic about the gender bending of this generation? Not to mention murdering unborn babies... Not to mention the violence and just, I mean, just the horrible things that go on every day in America and, 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 and in the world. And you think, why is God allowing that to happen? I'll tell you why. Because we are in a time in which God is extending mercy and grace. And He's looking down and He sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He is looking at sinners and He's extending His arms saying, I want to save you, I want to help you, I want to, I want to change you. That's God. But the time of His mercy. Listen, I don't know when the clock's going to tick on that second when God says, I've had enough. But I believe that if God's prophetic... I don't believe we're looking at a prophetical calendar. I believe we're looking at a prophetic stopwatch. And that second hand is just ticking, ticking, ticking. And it's going to get to that point that God knows when the time is right. And when it happens, it's going to happen. And there is nothing that any one of us can do to stop it. He's extending His mercy and His grace and wanting to... He loves the human race. He loves sinners so much that He died for them. 
What more could He do? What more could He suffer in our place to show us how much that He loves us and wants to save us? How much more could He do to show how much that He hates sin? The fierceness, the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And so these seven vials, this seventh trumpet ushers in the last plagues, the seven vials, and they're, they're referred to as the seven last plagues in Revelation 15 and verse number 1, where John says, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. These seven angels with seven vials, they're all full. Whatever that substance is, that liquid, God tells us that it's His wrath that is getting ready to be poured out one vial at a time. I don't know about you, but that I don't want to be here. Amen? The first vial is found in Revelation 16, verses 1 through 2, where John says, I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. If you were to study your Bible, you would find there's a connection between this vile judgment and the sixth judgment upon Pharaoh in Egypt. This grievous sore, uh, this boil that uh, is uh, put upon men. And if you will recall, in the sixth judgment of Egypt, that God made a distinguishing difference between the Egyptians and the Israelites in the land of Goshen. I mean, they, those Israelites didn't have to wear a mask. They didn't have to socially distance. God put some kind of an invisible barrier. So whatever caused that pestilence and that noisome and grievous sore upon them, God put an invisible hedge of protection around His people. Forget about the coronavirus for a minute. We need that hedge of protection in our lives today. Not against the coronavirus, not COVID-19, not the flu, not all of these physical uh, pestilences, but we need God's invisible hand of protection on the spiritual and moral pestilences that are sweeping this nation. It's like a plague, brothers and sisters, a plague. Thank God that God will make that distinguishing difference. Those who refuse the mark of the beast they end up suffering. There are many, I would say most, maybe even all, who refuse the mark of the beast, and when they get caught, you know what happens to them? Their head is removed from their body. You say, what, what, what did they do? Did they kill somebody? Did they do something horrible? No, they just simply said, we're not taking your mark, Antichrist. That's all they did. They had to suffer because they refused the mark. But they will be rewarded. Those that don't get beheaded that are still here, they don't suffer this first vile plague that comes upon the human race. Everyone that had that mark ends up suffering with this first vile judgment. 
The second vile judgment is found in verse number 3. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. Once again, similarity to the Egyptian plague that God used Moses to put upon the land of Israel. Now we've seen this, something similar to this in the trumpet judgment, but folks, this is a horrible thing. Uh, Have you ever been around a a dead carcass that had been dead for a few days? The stench is horrible. And really, I don't intend to be gruesome, but sometimes we, we have our head in la-la land, and we don't really grasp what's going to happen here. I mean, I, I, I've, I've, I've hunted before. I've killed animals. I've gutted them. I've had times where I killed them and gutted them and then had to go back to camp and get a motorcycle or get a horse in order to go back and pack that animal out. And you go back the next day. And all of that blood that was spilt out from that animal, it's curdled and it begins, it's just, it's disgusting. I can't even describe it. Imagine that times about 500 gazillion billion when the sea literally becomes like that curdled blood. It's going to stink. The animals are going to die. This is going to be an extremely unpleasant thing that takes place. And then in the third vial, in Revelation 16, 4 through 7, the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters. They became blood. Not only the salt water and the ocean, but now the fresh water. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. Let me just call a time out right there. Have you noticed when something bad happens, how many people say, why God, why did you allow that to happen? I mean, with venom, with bitterness, as if we deserve so much better from God. If we would be honest and really understand how good and how merciful that God is, and then compare that to how that we live, we would say, God, you are so righteous in judging the earth. You've been putting up with us for 6,000 years. I don't know how. You know, the reality of it is, the things that we have done to God, you wouldn't put up with it if someone did it to you. You wouldn't put up with it if your spouse was as unfaithful to you as you've been to Jesus Christ. You wouldn't put up with it. But God has put up with it for 6,000 years. But as we've seen, the cup of His wrath is at the brim and it's getting ready to spill over. The fourth vial in verses 8 through 9, it says the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun. Power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with a great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. Finally, 
after all of the talk for the last 50 years, the world's going to experience true global warming. Man's not going to be the one that created it. God Almighty is. The fifth vial in verse number 10. The fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. I want you to just kind of remember this particular verse because I'm going to be referring back to it at the conclusion of the message this morning. All of these things are going on and people are just blaspheming God. Venom and hatred and no desire to repent. Not even a thought that, hey, maybe we're getting what we've got coming. Maybe we better change our heart. Maybe we better do something. The sixth vial in verse number 12 The angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. In Armageddon, all of these kings of the east are coming against Israel. I'm not quite sure I understand the significance of the Euphrates River being dried up. I mean, you look at modern weaponry and warfare today, the river Euphrates isn't even slowing any army down. I mean, we've got, we've got aircraft carriers and we've got, uh, I mean, tomahawk missiles and we've got all kinds of things. That river's not going to slow anybody down today. But perhaps after all of these plagues and disasters that everything's going to get back to a little bit more grassroots warfare. Listen, I can't predict that. I wouldn't even pretend to try to figure all of that out because it would be a waste of time. All I know is that this is going to be significant and it's going to prepare the way and all of those kings are going to gather together and they're coming against Israel. Hey, I don't know what you think of our uh, our president the last four years, but I'll tell you one thing that I am so thankful for and and, and, and has been such a blessing for America is that our president has very adamantly stood with Israel. He hasn't just given it lip service. He hasn't just done it to try to secure votes. He hasn't done it as a politician. I believe he's done it because in some way or another, he knows what this book says, and he knows that we better take care of Israel. Regardless of his other faults and failures, whatever you think of him, that's one thing that ought to be at the top of our list. Depending on what happens January 20th, If everything goes as it looks like it's going to go, I don't know that the next four years we're going to be able to say the same thing. That's the part that concerns me probably more than any. You mess with Abraham's descendants and you're messing with God. As if we're not messing with Him enough already. And then the seventh vial in verse 17, it says, The seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. Verse 21, There fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plagues of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. Folks, I recognize that 
my ability to explain and illustrate and get you to see all of these things. I understand that I'm limited in my vocabulary, in my charisma, in my talent to be able to get make these things real to you. My only hope is that the Holy Spirit of God will make these things real and powerful in our lives. I can't describe it. But I'll tell you what I can, what I can talk about in conclusion is the heart. All of the problem that we just read about that's going to happen, the men that experience the judgment and the plagues and all of the pain and the suffering that still no matter what they've seen and experienced, they still blaspheme. They still won't repent. They still run to the mountains and say to the mountains, rocks fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. They won't run to God. They run from God. And they hate God with venom in their hearts. That's the problem all along, is the human heart. The human heart is an amazing thing. How many songs from whatever genre is sung about the human heart. We, we, we read about people who said, I love you with all my heart. Love stories abound. Love songs abound. And it's all about the human heart. The human heart's an amazing thing. It can cause a man to love. It can cause a man to serve. It can cause a man to give. But i tell you what else it can do. It can also be hard and cruel, and stubborn. In Matthew 5, verse number 8, our Lord said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know what our problem is? Our problem is in our circumstances. It's not the Democratic Party. It's not Nancy Pelosi. Our problem is, um, is not Hollywood. Our problem is not COVID-19, not going to be COVID-20 either. It's not going to be any of those things. Your problem isn't your parents. Your problem, I'll tell you what our problem is. It's the heart. That's at the root. All of the things that we see going on around us are manifestations. They are the byproduct of what's going on in the hearts of men and women and young people all across this world today. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. He said in Matthew 6.21, He said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Hey, where's your treasure today? Are you laying up treasure in heaven? Are you living your life so that you know that, hey, this life on this earth is just an investment in something. I'm going to do without. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to serve. I'm going to labor. I'm going to get some spiritual calluses on my hand. I'm going to get tired. My spiritual back is going to ache because I've been plowing in the Lord's field. People all over the place are quitting on God. We quit witnessing. Why? Because well, nobody seems to listen. Last time I checked, we shouldn't be doing it for them. We should be doing it for our Savior. He also said in Matthew 12, verse number 35, he says, A good man 
out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. Listen, if you look at your life and if you, if you would be honest and say, you know what, what, what people think of me at church is not what I really am. How, how many people do, do we know that try to appear to be some outstanding Christian? And at home, the people that live in their own, own home have no respect for their Christianity. Heartbreaking. What's the problem? The problem's the heart. Matthew 15, verse number 8, Jesus said, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips. Oh, praise the Lord. The good Lord is so good. I'm just believing in the man upstairs. They draw nigh with their lips, but their heart is far from me. There's an extremely popular country western star. Just won huge awards at this last country music awards this past year. This man is a professing Christian, and one of his songs that he wrote was, If I Could Have a Beer with Jesus. Let me tell you something. That is wicked. and needs to be repented of. Jesus doesn't want to have a beer with anybody. Jesus condemns that nasty stuff. If you're a Christian, you ought to condemn it as well. So they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You know what Solomon, besides Christ, arguably the wisest man that ever lived, He said in Proverbs 4.23, he said, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Everything that comes out of your mouth, every decision that you make, everything that goes on, you can trace it back to what's in your heart. And you're not going to fix your circumstances until you allow God to fix your heart. And the only way you get your heart fixed is to come to God open and repentant and say, God, I've been wrong. It's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Salvation is not a religious ritual. It's not some magical prayer or incantation. And it's not just an emotional experience. Hey, you might have had an emotional experience when you got saved, but listen, The emotional experience didn't save you. And if you may have gotten saved and not had an emotional experience. Salvation is a personal act of the will. It's faith. It's belief. It's trust that comes from the heart. Romans 10 verse number 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Notice it says confess. It doesn't say profess. Listen, you can speak the words. And they can come out of your mouth. They'll do no good at all unless it's a confession and not a profession. Say, what's the difference? It's just simply word definition. The word confess means the declaration of something that is so, something that is true. You can't have a false confession. I know, I know that they use that term on the cop shows. 
You cannot have a false confession because if it's false, it wasn't really a confession. It was just a profession. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Listen, folks, it is as simple and clear as it can be. Satan tries to cloud salvation. He tries to make it a religious thing when it is nothing more or less than something that God works in the human heart when we respond to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're saved, and I close with this thought, do you realize that your relationship with Jesus Christ is no different, no different whatsoever. It takes faith from the heart in order to get Jesus Christ as Savior. And it takes the same faith and trust from the heart in order to get our lives back on track for Him. If you're backslidden and out of the will of God, Listen, you can't turn over a new leaf. You can go try in your own power and you're going to fail. You're going to fall on your face every time. But if you will turn your heart to God and say, God, I'm sorry I've been wrong. I know this is against the Word of God. And I am am lock, stock, and barrel. I am giving my heart to you. I promise you, on the authority of this book, you will find God's power and forgiveness and grace He will change your life in ways that you never could have even imagined. But it all comes down to the heart. There's some nasty things coming to planet earth and the human race. And it's going to be ugly. And there's going to be weeping and sorrow. If you've ever had a broken heart, Sometimes that broken heart just makes you, you don't know whether to vomit or pat, you just, you're just shaking inside with hurt and with grief and you just think, God, I, I don't know what to do. We've got a little English Springer Spaniel and she's getting old and for the last, I don't know, four or five years, whenever there's a storm outside, oh, she gets all upset. She begins to pant and she begins to drool all over our floor. And she starts roaming around from one place to the next. I've seen her, I mean literally put her head up in the corner of a room and stand there looking for a place of comfort. I've seen her come over to me and no comfort there. Come to my wife, no comfort there. You would have thought, well, surely. But no, no matter what, no matter what you do, she couldn't find any comfort until the storm is over. And I guarantee you that many of you have had your heart hurting just like that and you just think there's no hope, there's no help. But the good news is there is hope and there is help. It's in Jesus Christ. Hang in there, brothers and sisters. Grab a hold of Christ. By faith, don't let go And let Him transform your life. If you're not saved, then you need to be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto the righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation.